Let's drop the green flag on this episode of the Talent Tank Podcast with your host, Wyatt Pemberton, bringing you the best, fastest, most knowledgeable personalities in Ultra 4 and off-road racing. This episode brought to you by the Jesse Combs Foundation as a donation from the Talent Tank and the Pemberton family. All right, here we go. Welcome back. Hey, this is Wyatt. I've got JT Taylor on the hot seat with us today. Pretty pumped about this. We've uh, got together a couple times. JT, welcome. Thank you, sir. So we tried this several occasions. One time it just didn't work out. We were mentally not in the right place uh, to pull this off. Too many things going on, too many moving pieces. And the second time, uh, learning curve, I, I might have banged something up. I, I still... <laughs> I still don't know, but here we are. You guys are going to hear this, uh, you know, starting in January of 2020, but I'm going to tell you, we have to record this beforehand. So here we are. We're in South Texas. We're at my house. We're in my office and it is Christmas Eve. (laughs) There is stockings hung from the chimney with care. And I've got JT Taylor sitting here in my house. He's passing through on his way from Colorado all the way down to Florida. So where he lives currently down to where he's from. Yep. How many miles did you click off today, JT? I don't know. It wasn't too big of a day today. I had to stop in Lawrence, Kansas and pick up a lawnmower I bought from Terry Madden. So I took it kind of easy. And you are a windshield time whore. Yeah, I get a lot of windshield time. Yeah, we were just, you know, talking about how many miles that you crank out in a year. I have, I hate to know. I, I hate to know. It's, it's in the hundreds. It seems like hundreds of thousands, but it's a lot. I think this year I'm hitting 42 weekends a year on the road. And then you were in Europe at a couple points this year. Oh yeah. Europe and New Zealand. Oh yeah. I forgot about that. Well, here's the thing. We are rolling into King of the Hammers 2020. The countdown is on. I think we're 40 days away, actually probably less than that from the actual 4400 race. But I think I saw somewhere today on social media that the countdown said 40. I don't know if I'm not going to fact check that. So let's back off probably another 11 days until this actually hits, uh, hits the airwaves. And I've got you in, we're going to talk about who JT is, what JT does. JT, you're the, uh, well, you're OG 13. We're going to talk about that. You are the global ultra four race director. Yep. We're going to talk about that. That's a pretty cool job. That's a pretty big title for uh, such a, (laughs) such a big guy. I don't know if, you know, matches the size of your head. Uh-huh. <laughs> and we're going to talk about who you are, where you're from, a little bit about you. But really, the major thing that I want to knock out with you sitting here, you know, in my study tonight is KOH 2020, Hammertown, building Hammertown, the building of Hammertown, the prep of Hammertown, the prep, you know, if you build it, they will come. I want to talk about what it takes to turn, you know, Means Dry Lake that has nothing on it. You know, it's got a couple bomb craters and turn it into the chaos corral that is the first week of february it is chaos but it's coordinated chaos it's kind of right well welcome i'm so pumped to have you in here so really the backstory is jt you and i have known each other since 2008 yep and i met you at hannibal missouri xra (laughs) that's a great place to race oh man it is weaver you know weaver's whole deal I miss Weaver. I miss the show that uh, that his circus, his brand of circus was a pretty cool brand of circus. Mike and Jody did do a good job, and their volunteers they had were just awesome. They were great people. And all the relationships and friendships and products that were developed and style of racing and st- just everything that developed out of the XRA era, still you can test back the DNA today. Oh, yeah. On it. Now, you, uh, you walked up 
you know, this is yeah, XRA Hannibal, and Hannibal's course was in a uh, a gravel pit. It was a, a rock quarry. Yep, it's a big rock quarry. And you were uh, you had a travel partner that you shared trailer space with and enclosed with. It was a guy, a guy named Josh Murray. Right. It was Matt Peterson and Josh Murray. That's right. And. We rolled up, you know, it's a bunch of Kansas guys plus myself in Texas, and you, now you've come to be friends with those Kansas guys as well. And you bunch guys, Paoli Yahoos, yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> and if anyone who listens to this show, you know who I'm talking about. But that said, we had just did some big changes to my car right before that event. I'd driven from Texas up to Kansas. I'd spent a week in Kansas, and then before we came to XRA Hannibal, and we'd switched from Air Shocks. Who remembers Air Shocks? How terrible! Yeah. And that car that I had before it was kind of like a, it was like a, more or less a Twisted Customs knockoff very short wheelbase and with the air shocks it was floppy jalopy it would fall over itself it, it, it loved to fall over it loved to roll over in its own shadow and we had switched to ori's to air struts before that and i mean revolutionary i mean it was the one of the first race cars that was running ori's right we hadn't ran into dermo yet Derm, rick dermo was running them but we needed to make an adjustment a nitrogen adjustment and i get introduced to jt taylor because he has this killer lifted jack <laughs> it's a it's just you know your standard craftsman red aluminum jack yep but it had you know eight inch ten inch wheels on it and it had a it had a lift kit yep it was like a it's like a jack with a uh, a penis problem right <laughs> <laughs> little man syndrome but no i i walk around the trailer and jt loans me this jack and i came immediately back to texas and i built my own jack and funny today we're touring my shop yeah i saw it sitting there i'm like hey i know where that came from it was pretty funny and you're laughing i mean it's and you can test back that dna to exactly that moment in 2008 where i met you and you loaned me yours yeah that came full circle that was pretty pretty funny now josh josh was a pretty awesome dude um he worked down here in houston for a little while he lived here for a while mm -hmm. he worked over at brave motorsports with dave goodwillig and company uh, but yeah i have i lost track of him he was driving a school bus for the longest time uh, he just he just went full circuit he's kind of a gypsy he is kind of a gypsy the murray brothers were always um good people and but always kind of off-road gypsies and uh then we lost his brother to uh, cancer quite a few years ago and uh that sucked he was a good dude but uh but yeah josh god we've known him forever and now you hail out of currently you hail out of fountain colorado yep it's a south of colorado springs yep right there in colorado springs and he those guys those murray brothers they were colorado springs ish area right yeah and some other famous racers from your neck of the woods the levels yep level brothers brad and roger shoot we had shane chittick's oh god clint and how far is uh that uh rams off-road ranch from your ray's place out at ram ray, is ray, Man ray mandel ray mandel good yeah, dude really good dude, good dude. Um, that's about 30 minutes from my house. Talk about when Ray would build a course and he'd have those, uh, the gaps, he'd ha always have a gap jump. He'd have yep. gap jumps. And this is back in the day when <clears throat> people are racing rock crawlers in go fast. And sometimes your low side wasn't enough speed to clear even a eight or 10 foot gap. Yep. No, that one gap jump. Um, what was that dude's name out of Texas? It was an old Campbell car. He cased that thing bad. It was that step-up jump coming out of the gully. Man, I don't remember. I remember, I, I feel like Cotton Rod cased one there. Oh, yeah, and, and, Cotton Rod and crashed heart, pretty bad. Heart-wheeled. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a bunch of those. Man, uh, talk about flashback down, uh, down memory lane there for a little bit. So we got you in the house, JT. Who is going to win KOH 4400-2020? Oh, man, that's hard. I'm, it's funny with me because I – normally don't know who wins until a couple of days later 
because I don't care. I don't I take that back. I don't, I do care. Oh, I know you care. I care a lot, but I don't want to be invested in a driver. I don't want to have a favorite because if there's a call that has to be made, I don't want to be biased, but putting all that aside, looking at history of what's going on this year and over the past couple of years, I'd say the guy that has a really big shot is Paul Horschel. The person that I would really want to win, Bailey Campbell. Oh, that'd be fun. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I agree with Horschel. I think Horschel is going to, I mean, he's not even a dark horse. He's just a name that's in the hat that's been killing it. He's been putting in the homework. He's been putting in the hard work. He's Absolutely. He's been banging it out. And if anyone, or, I mean, everyone earns the win. There's no, no, no it's not a cake. Uh, ain't no gimmies there. Yeah, there's no gimmies. But, uh, you know, I'm giving you a, hard, a little bit of a hard time, putting you a little bit on the spot because you are course designer. You know, you are the guy putting it in. And I know that there's uh, some information that's going to come you know, in the next coming weeks of what the new course looks like when the course map comes out and some of the new stuff that is involved and being on this side of the mic and on this side of the table and, but still kind of behind the curtain. God, you guys, you guys trust me with way too much. Like, <laughs> I'm not going to tell anyone, but my head is reeling. I'm so excited. It's okay though. I know where you live. Yeah. You're sitting in my house ah. <laughs> and I have skills. <laughs> right. Right. Now everyone, everyone who's racing this year, I am absolutely thrilled and excited about the new stuff that uh this hammer king team has put together and their plans for 2020 like i mean there's some i I wouldn't call them game changers but it's some stuff that i think everyone is gonna enjoy watching enjoy the turn of how these guys continue to keep that course fresh new different challenging it's yeah i mean it changes every year and every year i'm like there's no way they can get bigger there's no way we can do more and then we do and i shot myself in the foot this year because i went to the gambler 500 with terry madden got to hanging out with tate which i call him tater i'm not sure if he likes that or not but i don't care and uh (laughs) we are bringing the gambler 500 rally two hammers they're doing a gambler to the hammers and then on saturday afternoon after motos we're racing hoopty cross with gambler cars I, I love it. You know, I love it. Anyone that knows you know what my involvement <laughs> yeah. was, even with you, when we were talking about, uh, and this goes, this goes back a l- better part of two years of the stock mobbing class Yep. and working out a rule book. It was, it's basically 24 hours of lemons for ultra four. And we worked out, you know, like a $5,000 budget, a claimer class. Dave, Dave was very serious. This is going to be a claimer class because he wanted to claim a car. I think Yeah, he did. <laughs> I would, I'd love to have seen that uh, get off the ground, but it really didn't. It, it lacked traction in several ways. There really isn't a spot during hammers week to pull off that stock mobbing class no. time-wise. There just wasn't. Right. And honestly, there wouldn't have been a place to put hoopty cross with the gamblers until motos came back and then motos are on Saturday morning at the end of the week. And then in the afternoon we have the hoopty cross and it's still open. I think that's a great place for him. And I'm, I'm so pumped to see somebody pick up that torch and run with it. When you called me, I don't remember if, how far after the gambler it was. You guys were in the Northwest, mm-hmm. Northwest. Yep. You guys did uh like crater Lake and some, oh, some, yeah. some scenery around there. Yeah, And we were in Tate's uh, Honda Del Sol and we beat that thing. Like it owed us money. And can you fit in a Del Sol? <laughs> no, I mean seriously. I mean it's I'm that's not a that's not a crack on like size. You're you're not a big. I mean you're a big guy, but not a big guy. You're an average sized dude. Yeah. But a Del Sol is tiny. Yeah, it was little, but it was me and Terry mobbing through the forest. Wow. <laughs> now that's that's actually funny in many regards. Bringing those guys, so you reached out to me and you said, hey, do you have those those rules handy? Because you and I actually went back and forth for months yeah. 
and talking to Dave and roping Dave in and out and in and out. And for anyone that reads the rule book for any class in any race program in any race, uh, what's the right word I'm looking for? Sorry. If anyone reads the rule book in any race association and what goes in to make each of those classes or each of those vehicles or each of those races happen in the rule books, that's some serious heavy lifting work. I mean, it's, it's a pain. It's a total pain. You're, you are thinking, when you're writing those rule books, you're thinking about not just the race that you put on, but you're talking, you have to think about the race that you don't want to put on and the, the, the loopholes that you want to close and then trying to forward think what will guys, where will guys try to push my rules? So what really is, let's call it a paragraph. You could write a mission statement about what this class is still takes 15, 20, 30 pages of rules. Absolutely. Because being a racer, I've, stretched rules we'll put it that way before so i know how to look at a rule and read what's not there and so when you're writing it you have to think that way because you know absolutely people are going to look at it and read what's not there because if you don't say must if you say should instead of must then if it should i don't have to do that or if you just don't have it in there then that is carte blanche to do it oh it's a um, fair game yes. if it's not in there i'm gone T- totally i'm running <laughs> so you reached out to me about uh that rules and i was like man yeah i absolutely have the last set that you had approved david approved i had approved and they were just sitting there they're not being used and i'm like absolutely here take them and run with them god bless y'all god bless the rules i i hope to see this class take off i hope to see something like this work so then you guys convinced tate to bring in hoopty cross <clears> to <throat> saturday yeah, that's pre- pretty cool. It is him and he and Chuck are are really good guys. Chuck's been running the the hoopty cross side of it, and Tate runs. It's funny through his t- Twitter. He runs the whole thing through Twitter, man, and it's amazing what he gets done. Just tweets it, and it gets done. <laughs> what what is his at handle? Uh, I don't. I, I'd have to look it up, man. I don't know. No, nah, that's all right. It's uh, off off the top of your head. We're gonna move on from uh from from twenty twenty. KOH because we're you know we have to come back to it this is a very key you know by the time you guys hear this we will be t-minus four weeks and I mean, yeah and there'll be somebody somewhere just starting their car like starting to bend tube might be in gilbert arizona <laughs> always is always is oh man brian crofts brian crofts he's they did they started his car they started his car a couple days ago i did watch that so yeah we're down to but you know if it was anybody else, if it was at any other race shop starting a car, unless it's like Randy's or Campbell or even uh, Randy Slauson or Jimmy's 4x4, what I meant by Randy earlier, if it was anybody else, I would, you know, question, laugh, doubt. Campbell's have a track record of this. Yeah, I they've mean, done it. And so, yeah, they'll get it done. And it's uh, the same system over and over and over with the same. They have their formula and they know two cups of sugar in yep. this many marshmallows this many chocolates and uh they crank out brownies yeah well if they're as good as your daughter's brownies then it's going to be a good race car so she's eight years old <laughs> we have this amazing dinner tonight um you know steaks you know that's a texas tradition right here yeah, it was I mean, awesome she killed it but my eight-year-old daughter does scratch built brownies just scratch and jt's like ah, i mean she's eight you know how good can these be oh man <laughs> they were off the he's, he's still got some on his uh handlebar mustache across <laughs> from me he's like saving for later you current like i said earlier you live in a uh, just outside colorado springs but you're a florida guy yep from Mayaka, florida 
Spell Myaka. M Y A K K A. And you guys own an you guys have like a an, an airstrip there. Uh huh. My sister Patty and I are uh, partners on a thirty eight hundred foot FAA approved grass strip that my dad built. Old J Marvin was a, a visionary. He built a really cool strip because he had a air, couple airplanes and liked to fly and built a couple of hangers so other people could come out and hang out with him. And he started renting those for some income. And so, yeah, it's a, it's a neat place. And then there was the chance that was going to be like a flying community, but he said, no. Uh, yep. Development company came and offered him a bunch of money and he said, mm, no, I'm good. <laughs> See all the stuff that I learned just driving around with you in the truck with me. And I, like I said, I've known you greater than great, greater than a decade at this point. I'm learning new stuff every single time I talk to you. I know, uh, based on your part of Florida, you're into airboats. I do. I've got a 13 foot, uh, diamondback aluminum deep hole with a 550 horse water thunder LS2 on it. And it's the funnest thing I own. And you go dunking alligators, dunking alligators. Those are my boys. <laughs> and I recently saw you on a YouTube channel. What are these guys called? The boosted boys? The boosted boys. Bo- boosted boys. So <laughs> you can't be from Florida live in Colorado, look like JT and not have a mud truck. And you have a nasty, gnarly Jeep CJ YJ. What, what is it? It's a YJ. It's a YJ mud truck on some tractor tires, some, yep. some rice and canes or 56 something like inch, that. 19, five, 24s. Ugh, it, it's hilarious. But you roll into a, a gas station and where were you? So I can leave my house, drop in the Creek and drive up the Creek about half a mile and drive up out of the creek, cross the road, and go to the 7-Eleven. And I went to 7-Eleven to, to buy some Modelo. These guys were sitting there um, gassing up in their truck and trailer, and they just come from the track down in Pueblo. They come walking over, hey, man, can we take a video of your Jeep? And I was like, sure. Jump back in the Jeep and wave bye to them, pulled across the road, and Gabe, uh, Spencer, that was with me, that was Brandon, Gabe, and I. Gabe goes, do you know who those were? No. That was the Boosted Boys. Okay. Man, they got like 750,000 followers on YouTube, and they do all this cool stuff, blah, blah, blah. So I parked, hopped out, and they were pulling out. I waved them over, and they pulled over. I said, you guys want to go for a ride? Yeah. So they jumped in. I hand them a beer, and they're YouTube, and they're videoing the whole thing. Oh, the the link to this YouTube video, I will have it in the comments. I will put it in the uh, it's funny. after the checker flag because I watched it. Those boys were giggling. It was it was amazing. <laughs> it's this, what they call you? They called you Bald Jesus? One of the persons in the comments afterward called me Bald Jesus, and it, it was hilarious. Oh, it's very fitting. Uh, <laughs> I mean, but you, but you know, running around, we've got Texas Jesus, we've got Shock Jesus, we've got. I think somebody <laughs> tried to name themselves like Recovery Jesus or something like that, or Kansas Jesus. Or oh, it's funny. There's 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 been a there's been a bunch. But yeah, then they came back to the house and we hung out and um, messed around in the shop and looked at some of my projects and checked out the bar and they were just like, man, this is super cool. And so, were you into like the mud truck stuff, the mud truck scene when you were in Florida, or? Uh, no, not really because um, it hadn't developed at that point. It had, but I didn't have any money because I was in high school. I was only out of high school a month and 28 days and I was in boot camp in the army. I turned 18 in basic training. Hey, you are a military guy. Yep. And if anyone has ever met you, there's no question. They don't even have to ask you. You just know because <laughs> I mean, you are very structured, very to the point, cut, cut and dried, dot your eyes, cross your T's. Well, you never had to guess what you're going to get. Well, there's so many things to be said there. (laughs) (laughs) A very level-headed individual most times. Uh, Yeah, I have my days. No, I think everybody does. When you were growing up in Florida, I do know this about you. Your first kind of foyer into racing and racing world and racing life, it kind of dictated the rest of your life today, is you were a little three-wheeler racer as Mm -hmm. a kid. Yep, yep, racing three-wheelers. 
how does that start? Little, little death traps. I mean, no, nah, not death traps. What do they call them? Uh, well, my dad called it an idiot chariot. <laughs> Dad's a wise man. Yeah. I had a three-wheeler growing up, too. It about killed me 6,000 times. Yeah, I don't know. We had a big red, and I used to ride it around and then got earned some money and got a 200X and started doing some amateur stuff with it, uh, motocross-style racing. More lives than cats. Yeah. Oof. I had lots of scars. So rolling through your years growing up there in Florida, you did. You you dropped a little bit earlier. You're an Army guy. You're out of high school. What do you say, a month and three days before you month shipped? A month and 28 days. month and 28 days. Like, that's no time at all. None. Yeah. So you end up uh, in the Army. Tell me about what you did in the Army. Um, I was in the Air Defense Artillery. Started out on the Vulcan Weapon System, which is a Gatlin gun, 20 millimeter, uh, 3,000 rounds a minute. Basically, you throw a bunch of lead up there and see if something runs into it's a it. a wall of metal? Yep, wall of metal. Um, super fun to shoot. I miss shooting those things. What's it sound like? That's right. about a hundred round burst right there. Yeah. yeah I love it. <laughs> <laughs> then we transitioned into the Bradley weapon system. Then I went to master gunner school for the Bradley weapon system, which good God, one of the hardest schools I've ever been to. They, they call it the academic ranger school because the washout rates about 75%. Oh geez. And I made it through and it was, it was hard, but really proud of that being a master gunner. Um, cause it's in the military, in the army, it's a big deal to be a master gunner. Um, people who know who they are have respect for them. Went on through that at a couple of deployments. Where all did they, they send you? Uh, Iraq and Afghanistan. Okay. Still miss the third armor cavalry regiment. My favorite unit. I uh, yeah, missed the cav. Now you had a, you had a story about Chris Bowler, who was episode nine. I think it was episode nine for the talent tank. And I didn't bring this up in his episode. But you called him something. Oh. Um, F-O-B. A uh, fobbit. A fobbit. Yeah. Explain to me the fobbit. Okay, a fob is a forward operating base. And when you're a trigger puller or somebody that goes outside of the wire, outside of the fob, you look at the people that don't go outside the wire and stay on the fob as a fobbit because you're out doing work, getting shot at, blown up, shooting at people, doing the mission. And then when you come back, if they'd been a resupply run to the PX post exchange all the five it's already gone in there and bought all the good stuff so you get left what's left on the shelves which is so doing the work and getting no reward eh, it's probably we've made more out of it than it actually is oh no for sure for but sure it's <laughs> one of those it's one of those things where the army makes fun of the air force air force makes fun of the navy it's one of those things you know and so trigger pullers made fun of the fobbits uh brian trotter and i actually started calling people that didn't go outside of hammertown fobbits and it kind of stuck. I will say staying inside the wire at Hammertown, there is a party. No matter where, you, what time of the day or night, wherever you're at, there is a party going on. It is just, it is the city in the desert that never sleeps. Yeah, that's true. It's uh, it's pretty crazy. But we call outside the wire uh, Thunderdome. Oh, yeah. Because absolutely. Out, outside the wire is crazy. But speaking of Hammertown, I talked Dave into this, and I don't think anybody's heard about it yet. But uh, Don't drop it yet. Wait till we talk about Hammertown. Okay. We're I'll still wait. talking about you. All right. Yeah, I don't want to jump way too far in advance because, I mean, I, I got to give, you know, some carrots, you know, some good foreshadowing. We got to keep along listening. I mean, they, they did hear that you were on the show. So that should, in theory, keep everybody around. Yeah, but they probably all turned it off as soon as they heard that. <laughs> Not gonna, I mean, I don't blame them. How many years did you spend in? 21. And then you retired. You're full bennies. You're killing it. Man, thank you for your service. No, thanks, man. I, I appreciate mean, you saying that. No, it's, I didn't know any better. Joined when I was 17. Made rank fast. Found out that I was a really good soldier. Turned out to be a, a great leader um, because I had great leaders that taught me. Some of my NCOs, uh, some of my first sergeants, some of my officers were amazing. Um, Colonel Bill Dolan, one of the guys that I would love to see him today because he just 
one of those guys you had that much respect for because he treated his soldiers so good. He realized the the worth of a non-commissioned officer, whereas a lot of the officers didn't. And so it was it was hard a lot of times being a non-com and having an officer, a commander that didn't understand or respect what the non-commissioned officer does. So, you know, you have uh, commanders like that that, you know, understand it. And, you know, like I said, he's really good commander and just had that presence about him. I heard a, this is a hilarious joke. We're going to take a little tangent on a military joke here and I'm probably going to bang it up, but there's a, there's a briefing and there's all levels of rank in there. General, Colonel, Lieutenant, you know, Sergeant down to uh, a private that is getting coffee for everybody. And the discussion comes up about what percent of sex is pleasure versus work. And as it works its way from the top to the bottom, he says, oh, I think it's a hundred percent pleasure. I think it's, you know, or I think it's 75% pleasure, 25% work. One's like, it's 50% of each, you know? And finally the general looks over the, the guy pouring his coffee right there, the private and says, private, what percent do you think it is? He says, it's a hundred percent pleasure. And he says, well, why do you think that? He said, cause if it was even 1% work, my superiors would have me doing it. Oh, that's awesome. I love that. <laughs> and I read that. I was like, I'm not a, I'm not a military guy, but I can totally respect oh. that. That If it was even 1% of work, somebody would have had him doing it for him. That's funny. So, <laughs> so you, when you got out after 21 years, what was the step? What was how you ended up in off-road? How you ended up? I know you are regularly found in Baja. I know, and I'm list them off here shortly. How many teams you've worked for, and how many what you've done for them. But what was the hurdle? What what got you? Um, I was already racing uh, professionally before I got out, as I had built Old Blue and was racing XRA uh, before I retired, and then stepped into the professional ranks because I got sponsored by Tube Shark, which was my first sponsor and still a sponsor of mine, which is pretty awesome. Yeah, you've been with them 15 years. Yeah, a long time. 17 years, something like that. Yeah, Tube Shark and then a Power Tank. I remember you were always known as those two. Yeah, and Solid Axle shoot back then was Super Swamper. That's right. Yeah, and you built that uh, that blue and silver car. Yep, old blue. Old blue, and you took that car not just in XRA, but you rock crawled it. But the thing that I really remember about that car. It's also an OG 13 car. But the one thing I really remember that, about that car and you was Colorado Hill Climbs. Yep. Yeah, I ran all the Colorado Hill Climbs, and then I was the first rock buggy to race Pikes Peak Hill Climb. Had to work to get in there because every time I talked to Randy Rule, who was the tech guy, about it, he thought I was talking about some clapped out CJ7. And, and then I, when did he see it actually in person? He finally, I talked to him, um, Todd Keeker, who was working safety for the peak, actually got me working the peak as safety with him and it was the first year that they'd required them to wear a head and neck restraint well i had already been wearing them for a couple of years so i knew how they were supposed to be and all that and they had me at the start line checking everybody leaving the line to make sure that their belts were over them right and all that what's this this is about mid 2000s oh, 0405 i don't even remember man all these races run together right oh and you're as old as you are right oh here's the jokes <laughs> i'm gonna have them so i got to know randy really well doing that so then like a week after we todd keeker randy and i had breakfast one day and i said randy i said you know i said you remember the because you have to put in to race pike's peak you have to put in a resume and they have to approve you because everybody that wants to race doesn't get to race and i'd put in for three years and got denied well that morning i brought it up and i'm like i showed him i showed randy my resume he goes yeah i remember that i was like you really should come look at my car all right so we loaded up and went down there and he walked in the shop and went oh it's a effing race car tried to tell you so he's looking all over it looking at it and he goes 
man, you got a five nozzle fire system. Does your sanctioning body require that? I'm like, no. I said, none of our guys require that. He goes, well, how come you got it? I was like, well, because I want to be safe and I want people to be safe and I want to keep my skin where it is. And we talked some more and he's like, all right, send your resume in. Send it in. I got approved. So, and that was Pikes before, you know, you raced it a bunch of years without, uh, before it was fully paved. Yeah. Yeah. I'd, God, man. Back when it was dirt from right there at Midway Campground all the way up to uh, Brake Check at Glencove. That section was so much fun, man. You just throw that thing in there, grab the turn brake a little bit and set her, get off in the marbles a little bit and just go. I still can't handle the outside turns. I can still handle the inside turns. I'm okay with that. But the outside where if you drift a little bit too far, you hang the ass out a little bit too far, you are going for a thousand foot off the mountain. Yeah, there's only a couple of those. We call them two screamers. (laughs) Long enough to scream twice on the way down. (laughs) Today on social media, I saw Josh England was playing and testing out some GoPro sticks that, you know, basically give your car, like, let's call it video game mode, mm-hmm. um, where it, he'd attached them to the back window of his truck and extended it up and the GoPro forward facing. And it kind of gave it, it, it did give you like a Grand Theft Auto view of him driving. And I recall you and one of the teams that you're heavily involved with at, at one point who ran Pikes Peak in a pro light yep, Brad. was Brad Lovell and Brad Lovell during testing or during testing and uh, all of that, he ran, I don't know, I'm going to call it a GoPro dick <laughs> like out the back of the, of, of this pro light. And there's a section of the upper, upper portion of Pikes where Brad is click clicking along easily a hundred six inches off falling off the side of the mountain and it doesn't really probably from the driver's view it doesn't look like anything but from the video game view it's like yo bro do you know how far that is down <laughs> right off your mirror do you see how far that is out your right it's out the right brad brad it's way down it's way yeah. down over there no how there's exciting there's only one corner on pikes that always got me and that was olympic so after cog cut, it's the second to last corner. It's a sweeping right. And you're way up. You're at cloud level. There's, they're way oh, above the trees. Way above the trees. Way above trees. So you're almost to the finish line. And in, t- in practice, I could never hold that car flat-footed around that corner. I would always lift. Every day on race day, I, was always, I would always flat-foot it. But it, it freaks me out still. Uh, it just means you're human. Right? <laughs> that was the it only one that you would recognize get me, that you're mortal. You recognize that you're mortal. Yeah. The rest of them didn't bother me. Well, but your involvement with Colorado Hill Climb is quite amazing, in my opinion, because you were able to convince at the time, I believe it was Dave and Jeff at the time. Jeff was still, Jeff Knoll was still with Hammer King. This is one of the you know early years. What year was this? About 2010, 2011. You convinced them to do uh, Lands in Hill Climb in. Out, just outside Grand Junction. Yep. And that was, uh, for Ultra 4 guys, that was a motor killer. I mean, how many how many engines lost oh, their life that God. day? God, Lauren lost a motor. Levi Shirley lost a motor. Jesse Haynes. Jesse Haynes lost a motor. Ben Napier. I don't know. Did, did Ben? ben uh, maybe not. He might not lost one. I feel like he did, though. I don't know. Probably was a kangaroo was in his pocket or something. Right. That was back when, you know, it really was an Ultra 4 car can do everything, right? It, mm-hmm. you know, the view was... Well, you should be able to race hill climb. Well, it's still kind of. Yeah, but yeah, it was cool. We had 16 or 19 cars. I can't remember. but It was a significant number to show up in Colorado and go flat track racing effectively up a mountain. Yeah, and that's I still love that road. I want to go back. They race in August, and I want to go uh, race Old Blue up there again. What I, where I'm leading, where I was leading this path is I really think it's cool that you had the vision to introduce 
all those guys in ultra four to that style of racing and all the hill climb guys to the ultra fours and kind of get that blend and open the eyes and just, you know, I don't think the right word is spread the word or spread the gospel, but at the same time, it kind of is. It is. And it's funny because I still see those guys from CHCA and they know my, because I hold all the records on all the courses that CHCA has in the rock racer class. And I think you just put a target on your back. I, I would love to see some of your stuff fall. Not not because I, I I don't love you, but I think that you know that's records are meant to fall. That's true. I, there's some guys out there that that could do it. I know uh, old Rick Mooneyham was talking mad trash that day on the last run at uh, at uh, Lands End, and I ran last because I knew Brian Shirley hated to be chased. He wanted to run last. I qualified first, so I got to choose whether I went first or last. And so you chose last. So I chose last to throw Brian off his game because Brian was fast. I get up there, and Mooneyham was a couple cars in front of me, and he's on the radio to his guys at the bottom. And he goes, hey, Taylor, what was your record on this hill? (laughs) I'm like, you – and I didn't have radio, so I didn't know. And I didn't know until I got back down to the bottom. And I told Matt uh, Thompson, my co-driver, I was like, go check the board. He went over and checked the board, and he looked at me from 100 yards away and put his thumb down and said, he didn't get us. So I looked at Mooneyham and I flipped him off. Rick and I talk regularly. Actually, before we even walked in this room to interview, he was uh, he was texting me, basically just saying Merry Christmas. Um, he, he's all right. He's just a he's an all around good dude. He really is. I would love to see him get back into a car. I know at one point he was toying with a class one. I don't know what happened with that. Then uh, I know he's been looking for airplanes. So I know he's he's probably fully checked out. He's taken the the path of the Keenan Leatherwood and the Doug Jack. Well, I don't know though because he was and, he was selling his his little Subi. So, you know, I, I thought he was going rally. I was going to be having a wearing a fanny pack and stuff, but so I don't know what he's doing. He definitely has the granola beard for it. I know. There's birds living in that thing. Oh, man, it's, it's terrible. I can't wait for him to hear this. He doesn't hear it on the streaming. He waits until the Friday to hear it on YouTube. He's, he's just that uncommitted to streaming. It's like, Rick, it's here. It's streaming's mainstream, and he's definitely not mainstream. No, he's definitely way off on the right side of right side <laughs> of life. Rick, uh, I hope you hear this. I love you, man. You're you're my brother. Yeah, I miss having him race with us, man. He was a good racer. Yeah, I think he calls you a brother from another mother. Yeah, uh, yeah. we always got along well. Yeah, he's a, he's great. So yeah, we'll jump back in this talking about we've touched on a little bit about teams that you have been involved with, and it's a it is literally a who's who of pro off road racing. Not only your own JT Customs, and we we're going to talk about your your forays with Big Blue. We've a little bit. Also, the TTB car that came out of Torchmate that you own today. We, we're going to get there. But Pat Sims with WFO Racing and Pat's 6100 truck that he runs out in New Mexico. Everything that you did with the Campbells, you were a right-hand man with Campbell Ant for many years, traveling to many events with them, co-driving, spotting, levels. We kind of touched on that, that just being you know hill climb stuff. But for Brad's Pro Light and Brad's Pro 2, you were his crew chief for how many how many seasons four yeah crew chief and spotter five four or five years so all of the country with the 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 lucas oil circuit uh mostly the amsoil stuff oh it was amsoil you're right all and it was like michigan wisconsin yeah the big house wisconsin oh yeah crandon kind of love there yeah, all over back east, uh, St. Louis, Chicago, um, all the short course stuffs. And I'm blessed to, I mean, that's one of the ways that we got to be, we were already friends before this, but you you and Brad had always invited me out to short course stuff. So I had the chance to come to like, was it Pflugerville? No, shoot, Seagoville? I don't know. Floresville, there it is. Floresville, Texas. Oh, yeah. They ran in Floresville, Texas, built a track, ran it. It was a disaster. It was a disaster. Like nobody showed up except for race teams. It was 
it was just a terrible event. Then came to uh, Texas Motor Speedway in Fort Worth with Brad a couple yep. times, uh, and then the first time he yeah, was that's out when the boys the from Tribe came out and Adam cooked. Oh yeah, he made us all fat. Huey. Oh yeah, man, barbecue food out out the wazoo. I mean, yep, all the Texas crew came out there and helped us out, and that was, was a, that was a good race. Oh man, that that really. Brad moving to Pro 2 was really cool, and I, hopefully Brad will come on. I've talked to him about coming on, and we just haven't been able to line up. So I'm not, I'm not. There's no spoilers because I haven't interviewed Brad. But he, when he un- unveiled his car and stepped up to Pro 2, it was kind of like this for me. It was like this collective, like letting out breath of air, like a, a, a collective exhale. Like it was, I felt like it was time for him to go to Pro 2. Mm-hmm. He had definitely eclipsed everything he needed to do in pro light so it was very cool to see him in pro two racing guys like ari lyondike jr amazing competition at at that level and the guys that were holding holding his hands and coaching him and mentoring him like like douglas yeah scotty douglas that dude i got to work with him going to frozen rush for a couple years and uh what a great guy I mean, and I've met him. I've met Scott Douglas through you guys, and and that, and only stood on the sidelines, you know, standing like the third wheel, you know, like I'm at the little kid table at Thanksgiving <laughs> with uh, you guys with Scott Douglas. But yeah, man, just the ability that you guys bouncing strategy and bouncing tech and bouncing learning curve off of each other at that level of the game was just for me. It was really full circle fulfilling. Seeing man, these guys share stuff. I mean, these guys really care about it. It's it's as much entertainment as as much competition. I thought that was pretty badass. Yeah, and that's one of the cool things about Scott Douglas is he and his team were always willing to help us, and they helped us a lot through the Pro Light program and through the Pro Two. The opportunity to go to Frozen Rush, the Red Bull Frozen Rush deal with him for a couple of years, and that was in Maine, right? That was a ski a ski mountain ski lodge ski resort in Maine. Crazy. Lay it out there for everybody because I can't believe it doesn't still go on. It was a off-road short course uphill and then back downhill built on a ski slope and there was an over under jump to where one truck would go over the other truck would go off to the right and then turn 90 go underneath and if it was time right they would go over under and sometimes they did and the first year i was on ricky johnson's truck and then the second year i was on bryce menzies truck and at that time ricky was driving for menzies he was uh he was like a mentor coach to menzies at some point in there yeah, I believe so. And because I remember those two banging door to door and it was kind of like, which one's the mentor, which one's oh, yeah. the, 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 the student, right? Yeah. But yeah, it was crazy. We had the trucks in these heated tents and we would leave out the heated tent, go down the road a little ways, pull into the BFG pit, take off the regular tires, put on the bolt tires, which are sharpened bolts that stuck out of the tires inch and a half, and then back out of there, pull up to the staging. And there was these big propane fired heaters with the big tubes on them, like the worksite heaters. And you would hold it on the brakes and then hold it on the shocks and then put it on the driver. And you would poke your hand in there to keep your fingers a little bit warm. Right. And then on the brakes and on the shocks and on the driver, on the brakes, on the shocks, on the driver to keep everything sort of warmed up before they went. How many bolts would you say were on each tire? 200, 250, 300? Like every single lug of a tire had a bolt sticking out of it. It was like 160, I believe. Oh man, they're aggressive. They're gnarly. The second time I went, because the first time I had regular gloves and those things just, they were like not enough like medieval porcupines that would attack you. And so I bought some concertina wire gloves that are the big thick leather gloves with the staples on the palms and the fingers. So I took a couple pair up there with me the second time. So that made life a lot easier. When was last year that happened? Three years ago? Oh God. Yeah. It's been a few years. Three or four years ago. But they did it, what, two years in a row, three years in a row? Yeah, I think it was three years in a row. Yeah, man, I think God, that was that was really cool though. And everyone that went to that event and came back from that event couldn't talk better about it. Like that, it was just amazing, absolutely amazing to take these short course trucks from the Midwest, go all the way to the state of Maine, yeah, and then race a ski slope. 
No, and it, it was amazing. Uh, I forget the name of the company that was working for Red Bull's Mountain Mountain Enterprises or something like that. They did a really good job of laying it out with the, the tents and the pits and the support and the wristbands and the food. And actually, Eric Miller uh, was working with Ricky Johnson helping do part of that because he's up from near that area not close, yeah, super close. yeah i mean way closer than the rest of us right. and uh and eric actually did a really good job helping those guys run the thing so yeah, that was eric cool. is just a all-around professional i mean uh, the longer i've been involved in ultra four and the in off-road the more stories you hear about eric miller and you know he's a quintessential competitor and just yeah. a all-around kind of good guy maybe he'll win this year 2020 koh and i'll have an absolute immediate reason to have him on immediately <laughs> and he'll come on but um and he surrounded himself with you know a bunch of amazing individuals on his team as well oh yeah no, those good people except for his wife she's crazy she she absolutely <laughs> is but i think that's some of that's mom no, oh get this so just the other day i got my my christmas card from them and it says jt american badass taylor on the front of my christmas card in this crazy cool red script and that's leah, leah. It, was, it was so right. awesome so we talked about level a little bit we that's how we got onto this uh little sidetrack about short course trucks and uh ski we've, slopes we've got some segues going on sorry we, we do no no man we're <laughs> nailing it you uh you worked with mike palmer and his trophy truck ventures yep you worked for and when i met you you were working for speed tech in the desert yep and you were running kind of all of their operations and they were something else they had multiple 18 wheelers a big huge warehouse how many cars were they running at one time three or four uh Five? short course or desert no just desert just <clears throat> desert only i mean they were just they desert were... we had four cars at one point and you were the man with the plan behind the scene on those guys i ran i ran into you at a pit in hawthorne nevada maybe tonopah mm-hmm. nevada somewhere all of a sudden out of the back of my ear where uh, we were helping pit a geyser truck for some guys zorba racing out of oh San Antonio. Yeah, i remember those guys and I hear out of the back of my, you know, behind me, I hear this like cackling laugh and it's you coming around a truck, like, you know, yelling at the Texans, like, <laughs> look who I found out here in the middle of the desert. Ah. That's funny. Uh, but yeah, you're a speed tech. And then from speed tech, speed tech kind of what was the right word, uh, devolved. Yeah. They, they kind of, they went insolvent and got out of racing and you ended up going over to work for bad apple. I did. I worked with Steve Appleton for a couple races or a couple seasons. What a great guy. It's a shame that we lost him. Yeah. I mean, I guess if anything, uh, what, what you could say about Steve Appleton would be, you don't live forever, but man, he lived it. He lived hard. Yeah. Right. The guy was a genius too with marketing. The one time we went to Baja, everybody gives out stickers, right? So Steve bought cases and cases and cases of these little red Frisbees and he had somebody put bad apple stickers on all of the red Frisbees. And we would ride down the road in the chase trucks winging flip frisbees at the kids on the side of the road. And they were a hit, man. I still see kids playing with them down there. <laughs> that is a lit. I mean, that's that's pretty awesome. How did you go? I, like I said, you were obviously. Happy birthday to you. Oh, Happy we got birthday you. to you. You smell like a monkey. And you look like one, too. Oh, so you got your kids working for Chip McLaughlin now, too. That's great. Chip pays well. <laughs> Thank you guys. You're welcome. You're welcome. Hilarious. Yeah, funny. <laughs> God, you know Chip's gonna pee himself when he hears that, right? Oh yeah, he's, he's already like preconceived the like like he's giddy. Like he might have already he's got to pre put on a diaper because it's gonna run out of his leg. <laughs> he's so excited. Now nah, he uh, he knew you were in Texas, Chip. Surprisingly enough, is good at math. He could do one plus one uh-huh. equal two, so he figured out. 
you had to be coming here. And so he just kind of put it together and That's funny. said, said some things to me. And I was like, yeah, I don't know about all that, but let me run it by my kids. And they're like, oh yeah, he smells like a shoe. <laughs> all right. <laughs> you guys run with that. Let's do it. Uh, no, I mean, how did you, you were involved in off-road racing. Don't get me wrong. And I know this and we all know this about you, but how did you go to that like next level of running teams? Like what, put you in the catbird seat with speed tech and then that carried over to working for bad apple well it started with jason burger jason and andrea mr crossfit you know how jason burger does crossfit he'll tell you oh i did <laughs> that is the, that's how you know he does crossfit by the way that is jason shears co-driver yep two-time defending king right now so my co-driver when we won stampede in reno in the ttb car I think maybe Berger needs to be the next guy on here. Tell us about his subject matter expertise in CrossFit, but really how he makes, you know, the you guys. The only way you let him like come yours. on is if he can't say CrossFit once. His head will pop off. Impossible. Impossible. So I was racing XRA, and Jason and Andrea were racing against me. It was so funny because Jason and I just clicked. We just started, you know, giving each other a hard time because it's like, let me see your time. Let me see your time. Same time, man. I don't know you. You know, grab each other's time slip. You know, comparing times. Oh, I beat you on that one. I beat you on this one. Burger knew that I had just retired. Called me one day and he's like, hey man, what are you doing in November? I was like, oh. <laughs> Why? What you got? Uh, you want to go to Mexico? Sure. What's it going to cost? No, we're going to get paid. Really? What do we got to do? We're going to the Baja 1000. Holy crap. Yeah. And get paid. And yeah, and get paid. Because Burger was good friends with Jeff Rock, who was on Speed Tech. And they needed some volunteers. So they got Jason gathered up. Tom Ways, Mikey Antill, and myself, and we loaded up, and off we went to Mexico for the 2006 Baja 1000. Hilarious. And, and now look at, you're in Mexico how many times a year for races? Many times since? I can get. I love it there. But yeah, seven times a year. And you've invited me something around about a million and a half times to go with you, and I've basically failed every single every time. time. Yeah. Oh, hey, maybe there's next year. <laughs> that pregnant pause. But no... Um, so Berger got me in on that gig and I still thank him for that. So thank you, Jay. But yeah, in the next year I went from basically volunteer guy to crew chief. And then in 2008, we won the ball 1000 in class one. And that was my very first full on. I did the logistics. I did the pits. I did the assignments, everything. And we won. It wasn't because of what I did because we had two great drivers. We had Chuck Dempsey and John Herter. John Herter started and got us way out. And then Dempsey got in there and brought it home. But it does. It takes a full team. And oh, absolutely. No, we had amazing people on that team. One thing that you taught me really early on, and I still keep this with me, is you told me about you know prep and being at a race and being you know prepping not just the car, but prepping the chase truck, attention to detail, and everything has a place and everything in its place. And organization and, and what wins races is organization. So when things go sideways, there is still a construct still there's a glue that holds everything together that you can revert back to that there was a plan don't get me wrong if that plan fails we're going to come up with a new plan but the fact is we're going to come up with a new plan and that plan was probably already came up with we're just now going to implement it right and I, and you taught me that you know a decade ago and it at the time it seemed correct in in its place but i didn't really say grasp it as much as i did years later right and i was like wow man that guy was infinitely smart beyond his his years ah uh, that's your government <laughs> they just beat it into my head man that's just load plans and contingencies and training uh one up two down you know or two up one down making sure that people know their job above them and two below them and the load plans like on the ch on the chase trucks you get people that show up to a race 
just like people that show up to get into a Bradley. You got a brand new private shows up. If you've got a load plan that's printed out and he can open it and study it and every Bradley is the same, then he knows where this item A is. And same thing we used to do with chase trucks. We'd do it in a book, go to a race, you hand it to a, a guy that's new on the team, study that, look at it. I mean, there's going to be a test. So then when you stop to get fuel, you go, hey, find me the uh, half inch cordless impact. And I know which door to go to, yep. what shelf it's on. Exactly. Uh, the, and the other thing that you taught me back in that era was, and this is this is safety, 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 and I know you preach safety like nobody's business, but it came down to uh, radio communications and putting up aerials. And it was, hey, look around, look around, make sure there's no high voltage Oof, lines anywhere yeah. near you. And as it would turn out in that era, uh, there'd been a couple fatalities of, well, in the desert, I mean, outside of Johnson Valley, a lot of these race courses tend to follow right-of-ways, yep. accesses that run along power line, lines. Yeah. yeah, the high-voltage KV lines. And some fellows had gone to set up a pit for a best-in-the-desert race. And, yeah, it was during Vegas Dorino. And they raised the aerial to try to reach the, the race car. And as they were shoving it up in the air, it, it arced out to a high-voltage KV line, jumped, you know, high-voltage KV, jump a couple hundred feet, and it jumped a couple hundred feet and got him killed him yep and it was one of those things we were in a parking lot in las vegas and you kind of banged that in my head and i was and i was like wow you know i really hadn't thought about that well guess what a lot of people haven't thought about that especially as you said like brand new new privates so if this little piece of the today's pie equals it saves one person's life by hey look above your head before you raise the radio yeah. on your chase truck yeah just situational awareness yeah right yeah don't park on the outside of a corner Absolutely. I mean, we've seen, we've seen that. I mean, man. you don't know how many times. Oh my God. It's, it's every time, but I love watching the videos and it's certainly the helicopter shots of guys like, you know, Robbie or Bryce Menzies or any of the McMillans as they take a turn and they make sure they throw so much out on the outside of the corner and get everybody that was sitting there. Oh yeah. Just like, listen, if you're going to sit on the outside of the corner, I'm going to make sure I give you a, 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 a little souvenir to go home with. <laughs> yeah. God, there's people I can't just don't, can't even fathom why they would think that'd be a good spot to sit, but they do it every time and not just Mexico. It's at the hammers a lot. And we're going to see that. And uh, hopefully somebody hears this and some pe- other people hear this and other people see this and they walk up to those guys and be like, Hey, there's lots of places to sit in this whole wide open desert. That is not the one you want to be sitting in. Yeah. Well, at the hammers, we've gotten to the point now to where, I mean, last year we put up 11 miles of snow fence. Just to keep people from themselves hurting themselves because they just don't get it. And they you can't really tell where the race course is when you're standing there because you don't see the course markers. And then all of a sudden, there's 6,000 pounds of hell and fury flattening your ass. And it's too late. No, nah, it's, it's, it's way past too late. Now a message from our sponsor of this episode, the Jesse Combs Foundation. My wife sat and asked me, what do I want to accomplish in 2020 and what causes do I want to support? And one of those that came up is the Jesse Combs Foundation and what Jesse Combs was doing for women and the trades. I really got behind this uh, this foundation and believe in supporting those that support you and moving forward in philanthropy and helping philanthropies move forward. And today with that, I have Matt Howell, president of the Jesse Combs Foundation on with us. Matt? How are you doing? Good, man. How are you doing, Wyatt? 
You know, we've talked in the past. I'm really proud to see people I know moving philanthropies forward, just moving the ball forward on good causes and things that I believe in. And it's cool to see other people believe in them. And today you're going to talk to us about the Jesse Combs Foundation and a couple really cool ways to donate that you guys have coming up with King of the Hammers right around the corner. Matt, tell me about the Jesse Combs Foundation. Yeah, so uh, I recently uh, had an unfortunate opportunity to kind of help a bunch of people, but then also support uh, the memory of a great friend in Jesse. You know, Jesse was a, a creative, positive, and adventurous spirit. It's evident by, you know, all of her accomplishments. She's an accomplished racer, an accomplished fabricator, a land speed record holder, also a TV personality on several different really, uh, really fun shows. And uh, she just, she just never really had any boundaries. She just always pushed forward. And one of the big things that uh, she really stood for was to help young people, but especially young women within their respective interests or professions to try to come up, come up and accomplish their goals. Part of that foundation, you guys have three really pillars that Jesse, you know, Jesse embraced them. It was the, what she lived every single day, as far as something of her mantra, basically the, what would Jesse do? Yeah. So the three pillars that the foundation is built off of is to educate, inspire, and empower. And, you know, the, the mission is to educate, inspire, and empower the next generation of female trailblazers and stereotype breakers. And kind of the way that works is, you know, the, if you think about it, you want to educate people so that they can be informed, either trained or informed as to whether or not this is a particular field or trade that they want to go into. You want to inspire people so that they're motivated and want to go into these different fields and, and trades. And you want to empower them and give them the ability to be successful. And that's really what the foundation is about, is we're looking to identify the talent that's out there and then identify kind of the category that they're trying to thrive in or, or really be successful in. And then we want to be able to support them and empower them. And I find this so amazing. I mean, I find it so supportive. You guys are picking up the torch where Jesse somewhat dropped it. And it's not just you guys, it's plural. It's many, many people are picking up her message and picking it up and carrying it and carrying it on through many, many things and many, many ways of spreading her word. I think I find it very cool. Yeah, it's really easy to do. You know, you and I have talked in the past about the different worlds or circles that she ran in where it's interesting to see them all blend together. And I'm not saying that it's easy to run a foundation or to put this together, but it, the people that Jesse knew and the people that uh, that love Jesse have made it easy to put this together to be something that uh, really is very, very focused, very laser focused. You know, I mean, we're out there to distribute individual scholarships and grants and event scholarships that will align with the foundation's mission to help young women. And it's it's very exciting. It's interesting. And uh, the people that have kind of come out from wherever they're at, you know, to help us or to support us has been really uh, very encouraging. And that said, the board for the Jesse Combs Foundation is made up of how many individuals? Yeah, there's seven people on the board, men and women, and they've come from uh, different aspects of, of the world. And I didn't actually know any of them prior to uh prior to being a part of this. Uh, and we all kind of came together. And this was one of the things that Jesse had always wanted to do. It's unfortunate that it's happening, you know, where she's not around to help us with it, but uh, doesn't mean that we're not going to proceed with it. And the people that have come out, all the board members have made this uh, a very talented group, made this a uh, successful push so far. Well, we have King of the Hammers right around the corner, as everyone knows. And I know that the Jesse Combs Foundation has a couple really innovative, really cool ways. Well, one's innovative, I'm going to say. One's really cool ways to donate to the foundation to help us build scholarships, help you guys build scholarships for some of these uh, women that uh, are going to further the message down the road. Can you walk us through a couple of those? 
Yeah, you know, Bart Dixon, uh, one of the OG 13 for King of the Hammers, reached out to Terry and I recently to donate his spot to us to auction so that uh, the proceeds will benefit the foundation. But we are in the very next week or so going to auction an OG 13 spot that somebody could purchase and have a guaranteed place to race. You guys are a 501c3 organization, correct? That's correct. It is uh, completely charitable. So these guys, whoever bids on and wins this auction for their for a starting spot in the 4400 race will be able to write that off. Yes, we'll be able to help them with that. And then behind that, you guys have another really cool, I think this is actually a Dave Cole idea, and I really like it, but you're going to have to walk me through it because I, I will bang up the explanation as you described it to me. Yeah, no, it was very cool. I saw Dave at SEMA and I had approached him on behalf of the foundation to uh, have a presence at King of the Hammers. And Dave, of course, is like, yeah, whatever you guys need, definitely you have a spot, you know, a vendor spot. And he kind of challenged me for a minute and asked us what our fundraising goals were. And I hadn't really thought that far into it because I wasn't sure what our presence would even be at King of the Hammers. So he kind of presents this idea. Give him a second. I, I forget even what the initial ideas were. And he kind of goes, no, scrap all that. I got a better one. Basically, the concept is like a walkathon, and we're going to call it a raceathon. The participating drivers, you'll be able to pick your favorite driver, determine how much money you want to give per mile that they go in the race, and however many miles they go, that's your pledge to donate to JCF, to Jesse Combs Foundation. What an amazing opportunity. What an amazing way to do that. Well, Matt, thank you for recapping those. Everybody, please go out and hit www.thejessecombsfoundation.com for more information. Matt, thank you for being on with us today. Thank you for the Jesse Combs Foundation for supporting my program. Thanks, Wyatt. So we're going to jump back a little bit. I want to devolve our conversation, digress a little bit. 2007, you get a call from Dave Cole, something about, actually, hey, no, didn't even get a call from Dave Cole. Tell us the story. Uh, we were, we had just finished XRA race in Moab, went to Montrose with Crawl Magazine to do a shoot. And it was Mark Bunsen and myself. And I think Rob DeBrock was there. Hello, Kansas boy. What was his, uh, all my dirty friends. Yep. And he did crawling is for babies. Crawling is for babies. DVDs that yep. were their ant- antiquities today. Yeah, I still got mine. I still watch them. But uh, yeah, Rob was there uh, hanging out. Brandon Foster from Crawl kept bugging me. He's like, hey, man, because the photo shoot went to crap. The weather was horrible. So we were in this uh, laundry mat playing crash up derbies with their laundry carts and we got kicked out of there and almost went to jail. In Montrose, Colorado. <laughs> yeah. And so he kept bugging me, man, there's this cool race that's going on. I got an invite. It's an invite only deal. Yeah, you can be our guy, and we'll do a story about it. And uh, Tom, who was the what, the editor, I think, can ride with you, be your co-driver, and blah, blah, blah. Where's that? California. I'm like, man, I ain't got no money. I was still in the Army at the time, and I had just busted my budget for No, I just got out. Yeah, it was 07. So, yeah, I really didn't have any money because my pay just got cut in half because retirement pay is not all that great. He's like, call your sponsors. Tell them it's going to be a big deal one day. So I called, Turns out. I called Tube Shark, and I called Solid Axle. They both wired me $500 each. And off to California we went. We stopped and prepped my car at um, Terry's shop in Alpine Off Road, I believe. So you guys end up making it to California, make it to Johnson Valley. Yep, we get um, out there, and I end up meeting Jr. and Bart Dixon, and they were going out pre-run. So I was like, I'd never been here, man. I was like, I need to kind of wrap my head around it. So I went out pre-run with them. Bart broke his car on outer limits, so then we had to recover him and. You know, that's the first time I ever wheeled anybody with portals. I'm following JR, and he's just singing over these rocks. My big old... He's taking lines that yeah. nobody can follow. Oh, yeah. My big old Dana Six, he's like, bam, ow, bam, ow. <laughs> just crashing into stuff. So, yeah, there was 12 of us, 
that took the start. The OG 12. Yeah. Unless you're Dave and you recall it being 13. Um, But we did the race and it was like 38 miles, I think. And the checkpoints were, uh, the first checkpoint was at this big rock at the beginning of Outer Limits. And there was a cubby hole and it had a notebook and a pen. And you pulled it out and you would sign, put your name and what time you hit it and then put it back. And uh, Dave still has that, by the way. That's cool. And we've actually talked about, I think we're going to try to do it this year, is do a plaque like they have on the plaque line up on Sledge. Yep. Because nobody knows that's checkpoint one for the OG race. So we're going to do a plaque. And put it up at our limits. And that's funny. Nobody's heard about this except me and Dave. Oh, here you go. You and about 20,000 of your closest friends just are going to hear this the first week of uh, January. But what Dave wants to do, and I think it's really cool, is put what it is, checkpoint one, OG race, the date, and then the order in which we came into that checkpoint. That'd be very cool. Yeah, one through 12. So that way, if, you know, people drive by there, see it, and then they kind of get a little bit of the history of the race, you know, because most people drive by there and never know it. No, I'd fallen asleep on that rock, <laughs> or at least one of them right there by it. I lost a, a fuel pump down there uh, many years ago. Well, you it, can't it miss it. It's, and when you're coming up in there, it's that big brown rock on your driver's right that's got those little pigeon holes in it. So when it gets really quiet out there. When no one's around, it's deafening silence Yeah. until uh, I got woken up. Uh, I fell asleep on it, and then um, a couple uh, Blackhawks or Pavehawks came cruising by from 29 Palms, and <laughs> they did a low and slow pass their hand. I woke up and kind of like looked like... Wow, that, that's pretty amazing. They're in formation flying, you know, a couple hundred feet off the deck, just cruising down the valley. And then once they were gone, it went back to just deafening silence. And I don't know how to describe deafening silence, but it's so quiet that your ears hurt. Yeah. No, it gets really quiet out there. That's yeah, beautiful. It is absolutely beautiful. So that equaled you were one of the OG and you raced OG. You were the longest racing OG yep. of the 12. What year was your last year leaving the green flag? Let's see, 15. 2015. Yeah. And then what year did you come to work for uh, Hammer King? 15. 15. It was yep. partially into the year. That was the deal. Because we finished. Nor- I'm going to back up just a sec, though. So the OG thing where Dave screwed up. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Th- that's a great story. So we finished the race. It was great and fun. Uh, I finished fifth. I broke. I was dead last. And then got parts, got fixed past Hobie Smith and a bunch of the F toys again and finished fifth. A bunch of pissed off gerbils. Well, they were mad. But and Hobie wouldn't move, so I had to hit Hobie like three times to get him to move. I called Dave about halfway through that year. Or no, he called me saying, we're going to do the race again, and you're in. I was like, sweet. That was awesome. Let's do it again. Then I called him back and said, hey, I want to make shirts for the, all the drivers that were there the first time. Because uh, my friends Todd and Babette had uh, F-U-K-T shirts at the time, and they still do. And they did a bunch of my shirts and did a great job. And so I was like, let's uh, let's do shirts. I want to do something cool. So what do we call it? And I was like, how many guys were there? They said 13. I was like, okay, well, well, you know, we went back and forth, back and forth. And I still don't know who said it. I don't know if Dave said it or I said it. But one of us said OG 13, you know, old guys, original guys, original gangsters. And that turned into OG 13. And it stuck. And it stuck. And you had you had Rob Dubrock with you. I did. He was out there because he, he filmed he, it. He filmed it. And I want to jump on Rob for one second because he had a picture that proved, and I saw it. It's been a long time. He was hanging out the window of, you used to drive an, an expedition mm-hmm. or an excursion. No, no an that excursion. was Mark Munson's excursion. It was Munson's excursion, but you guys were in Times Square. Yep. Times Square, New York City with blue on the back on a trailer rolling through Times Square. And I thought that was yep. one of the coolest <laughs> old pictures. I mean, at the time it was, why on earth were you guys in Times Square? What were you guys doing in that part of the country? We had gone to the first XRA East race 
and Pennsylvania. And as a matter of fact, that's where I met Eric Miller. He was, I think he was 16 or 17, showed up in the beat up little Jeep and was bashing around having a ball. We got done with that race and we had a little time and I'd never been to New York City and months and Certainly never been to New York City. No, they don't let, let Munson out of Texas very often. I haven't heard anything out Munson in probably five or six years. Yeah, more. he's been busy working and just got his head down. He's a riot. He is. He's a great American. That's, that is a good way to, to, to describe Mark. So, yeah, you guys were in Times Square. I thought yeah, that we was, rolled through that was New awesome. York City and... Then it's like, all right, get me out of here. Navigate me out of here. Let's go. It's not not my cup of tea. No, it was awesome. We had a blast. I parked over at Battery Park, and we took a picture of the Statue of Liberty through the windows of Old Blue. And Oh, no kidding. Oh, yeah. I still got it. It's pretty oh, neat. Oh, man, you gotta, you've got to share that because I haven't, I haven't seen that. I've only seen the, the Times Square one, and, and when I saw the Times Square one, it was probably in 2000 eight or nine or ten, whenever that was it was easily a decade ago so the fact that i've retained that in my <laughs> ghetto factum <laughs> memory brain is is problematic but shortly there after you were the og you did a couple races oh back to the og so dave oh yeah oh man dave. he said they were 13 so i make 13 shirts we get to the driver's meeting in 08 and i started handing out the shirts to the guys that were there for the first one. Well, there was only 12. That's a detail. D- Dave, you know, we we task Dave with many, many things. Us that are, you know, can call Dave a friend or acquaintance or whatever. We task him with many things. Big ideas is definitely one of them. Oh, yeah. Crazy ideas, another. Uh-huh. Attention to detail is not one. No, situationally not aware. No, no. <laughs> I love it. Though. Love that guy. Oh, uh, man. Yeah, good stuff. But if I've talking about the KOH competition level and you at somewhere your desert world came collectively into the ultra four world and you end up with torchmate torchmate was running a 6100 tr- or a, a 7200 7200 truck? Truck, 7200 yeah. truck yeah yeah we didn't have 6100s back at that area yet. Nope. that hadn't happened no nope. still the nascar v6s that's right uh the 7200s they had one bill Kuntz, who was torchmate was his company his business is pre-lincoln buyout yeah it was uh greg jones and bill Kuntz were partners on that truck. that's right and you had uh brad level the level brothers were involved and that uh-huh. was how you kind of had a connection with them and i believe at the time jesse haynes who we know is jesse haynes fab jesse worked for bill as well at the time doing fab work plus building tables yep. and there was kind of a i don't know if the right word for it but as i'm gonna call it it's like a like a dream team kind of came into play in roughly about 2010 and they put their brains together to come up with the next level car and the next level car. It wasn't an IFS car. It was a TTB car. Yep. And they started building this TTB car out of uh, the Reno facility. As it neared completion, JT Taylor became named the driver record of that car. And you were going to be a sponsor driver. And that was going to be the car you ran. Yep. Let's talk about that car for a little bit. So the dream team, it's funny. I don't think you know this. So uh, Jake Povey, who uh, just recently worked for Menzies for, many like four or five years out of vegas was on the design team and build team amazing welder Sosha was on the build team was mike aiello in there mike aiello was yeah. absolutely there he did a lot of drawings for that's that what car. i thought cat sorry cat i don't remember your last name all we ever knew him was cat you know cat was there amazing welder building the headers and all kinds of stuff mark leverett was there doing stuff it was is that the same leverett with leverett transmission leverett transmission was john transmission john leverett was his dad that, that was the connection. Okay. And I thought so. Fortunately, we lost him a couple of years ago. John Leverett was an amazing guy. I hadn't heard that. And his kid, Mark, is a great friend of mine. Just I remember always seeing Tom Ways running the Leverett 
transmissions. Oh yeah, Tom's was friends with the Leverett's for years and years and years, and that was funny because Leverett was on that 06 team with Speedtech when Waze came down there with us on that run. So it's all just a something of an incestuous little really bunch. Is. They built that TTB car. I came in the last couple months to help finish it. We loaded it up, took it to the hammers. Didn't do well. Passed, I think, 28 cars in the first 22 miles. Well, I saw some in-car from somebody of you passing, like a you know, dust blaze of glory going down the right side, just blazing scrub brush. And it was like, who was that? And it was you guys in the TTB just rolling. Yeah, the thing was amazing. Achilles heel was the rear uh, driveline, the low pinion on the 9-inch, and we killed a drive shaft. Our race was done. So we brought it back, licked our wounds, figured out our cooling issue, and figured out our drive shaft issue. I forget the next race. But somewhere in there was Stampede, and y'all whooped up on everybody in that thing. Yeah, Miller doesn't like to talk about that race. He starts talking trash, and I'm like, how many minutes did I beat you by? Because we beat him by 32 minutes. We won first place by 32 minutes over second. We, it was a just a perfect, absolute perfect day. We didn't get hung in traffic like a lot, a lot of people did. And Jason Berger was killing it. The crew killed it. The car was amazing. And we just... Was that the race where there was a, like a bottleneck and traffic jam and like a like the throne of the gods or giant's throne giant's throne and it was like a it was like a one or two line drop in yep. to a, a bowl and somebody maybe rolled forward there and then just botched everybody up but you were already through yeah there was a couple of us that got through that but yeah it, and then just walked away yeah it was funny because when we did qualifying that was the first time Shear didn't have jason Berger as his co-driver because he was driving the psc car that you were talking to sure or to adam sure about the, the white car or was it the single seat the white rolled back car that's right with the rolled tubing on the back old whitey so he was racing that i think it might have been the first time he was racing that car that seemed the timeline would lay out for that he would have raced that car here in texas at texana yeah and then they left here and took that car back west so we get, out west we got into Shearer's head because he didn't have Jason co-driving for him because they wanted the guy that helped build the car. I can't remember who was co-driving for Jason. Maybe <laughs> maybe we'll get Jason to clear it up on a <laughs> on the Talent Tank Insiders page. There he'll, you go. Chime in. And right now he's you know as he listens to this, we cruising to work and you know his his Raptor screaming. No, it was a- <laughs> yeah, no doubt. But Berger and I they got a raid down a, a really good qualifying run. We qualified second behind Shannon Campbell. So then when we left the line, Shannon had a mechanical. We were on him pretty quick when he was running hard, but then he had a mechanical and we got him in the first, I think it was like an 18 mile loop. We had clean air and we were gone. So it was. And then what was the time frame between kind of that Genesis and that win and campaigning that car and Torchmate? The company being sold to Lincoln Electric. Um, it was the next year because I raced. I camped on that car. We did Hammers Silver State three hundred, which I started thirty six because Greg Jones didn't put my entry in in time, and so I had to start at the back of the class. And that was when there was, I think, there was thirty six Ultra Four cars showed up for that, that ran time. the Silver State that year. It was nuts. Yeah, it was cool though. And we finished fourth with I did. It was two, all dust. I did two hundred miles with no brakes, and I could catch Ferravani and pass and Pelegrin. I call him Pelican, but we could catch those two guys. Yellow yeah. hat. Yep. Oh, yellow hat. But I couldn't pass them because I just couldn't drive that hard because I had zero brakes. You had to lay up a little. And so we finished fourth, and then we went Glen Helen and finished third. Then the t- the car got not retired but parked. Well, as, as Torchmate, you know, Torchmate cutting systems, you guys can look them up on. I mean, 
CNC plasma tables as their business yep. and just an amazing product, you know, at the forefront, the cutting edge of metal cutting technology, they got big enough to be noticed by Lincoln Electric and Lincoln Electric, you know, Lincoln Welders, Red Welders, Lincoln came in and plucked them up and bought them and folded them under their wing. And that car didn't have a place in corporate America. No. And so it was that, a liability. It, it was a huge liability. So it got punted. It ended up going to Tennessee to Clyde Stacy. Yep. And Robbie Gordon raced it. It showed up at KOH two years. Yep. And left Lance standing in the desert, which still is funny. Helicopter the hell out of there. <laughs> Except for Lance. Bye, oh, Felicia. Lance. <laughs> Bye, Felicia. Hang out. <laughs> Lance, I, I know Lance is listening to this. Yeah, man. But that, um, we that's still a good joke. There's still good pictures of it. Just just hanging out. And was that the year that uh, he, he rolled it on the lid? Or was that the year they popped the motor? First year is when he popped the motor at race mile, like 13 or something. And then uh, second year he rolled it on the top of, God, what is that? Wrecking ball. I was going to say sludge, but I think it was, I think it was wrecking ball. He made yeah, it rolled it, broke the sector shaft on the steering box, and then was all done. But then it sat for a couple of years. It got reprepped and it sat for a couple of years. And then I started bugging those guys. And you own it today. To buy it. And I finally got them beat down to a price that I could sort of swallow. And I bought it. And you've raced it in Mexico a little bit. Yep. I raced in Mexico a couple times uh, or several times. And people are, you know, the reason why you aren't racing it in Ultra 4 is because you're global race director for Ultra 4. You can't really race in your own series. Kind of like Dave kind of can't race in his own. What he, has he has a couple but, times. But, you know, when he wanted to race at Reno, at first I was like, oh, man, I don't know about all that. But he's like, hang on, listen to me. Because he'll call me. Hey, man, I got a stupid idea. And now I just hang up on him. <laughs> And then I call him back. It's a joke. He said, I already called all of the drivers that are registered to race in Reno, and they all agreed that they don't care if I race with them. Okay. All right. But yeah, I can't. I can't do that. I'm I'm too busy doing stuff, putting on a race and making sure it's a safe, good race. But outside of that, you've you're involved in Nora. You've taken the car down there. Yep. And you've done you've cars had a lot of success. It's been a good car. Oh yeah, we've won Nora yeah. a couple times. It's still fast as hell. Oh God, things so much fun to drive. That twin traction beam front end is Truly, I'm going to make a statement here, and you're, you're, you can throw something at me. It's really not getting the the crap ran out of it like it needs to. It's not getting the love. No. The, the, it, it needs tough love. And I know. Giving it soft love. It needs some top. It needs shaking down on a regular road hard, put away wet, and you've got it parked in a shipping container. No, it's in my shop. It's funny. I guess this is the bombshell dropping show because uh, I'm going to sell it, dude. Well, I mean, I, I'm with you on that. I am. I actually am. I, I fully support this this move. If you sell it, man, somebody's going to give them a damn fine fast car. You know the cool thing about it? It comes with a KOH spot. Oh. <laughs> I asked Dave that because he came up with that thing. You know, if you sell a car that's already qualified, I said, uh, what about a K, uh, OG car? I never thought of that. Yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. I'll give him a spot. <laughs> hey, what's 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 more entry? What's another entry spot? I love it. No, that's sad to hear. Uh, I, it is and it didn't. I've had a really good time with that car. It's just I've got so much stuff going on. I just don't have time to use it like it should be. It's such a good car and such a work of art that those guys built. Well, I'm watching you. And I can tell that you know you've put an emotional amount of time <laughs> into thinking about this decision. Yeah, I have. Well, I'm, I'm sorry to bring that up here, but I guess, hey, if anybody wants to buy a TTB car from JT Taylor, he's got one for sale. I wouldn't have pitched that before, but I guess we can now. I wish one of those guys from Europe would buy it. That'd be an awesome car. Oh, that'd be a there. killer car for those guys. Yeah. Absolutely. Or maybe, uh, you know, something from Miller. Miller does need, you know, he's not willing to go all the way full wing. <laughs> That's the in-between. Full, full chicken wing. <laughs> he can go half wings. An, no. an order of half wings. Or Casey Gilbert. That would seem like a next logical to me. 
I never thought about that. Yeah, we need to talk him into it. He's a hell of a guy. I like Casey. Yeah, he's good stuff. Uh, <laughs> he sends me the the craziest text messages. I love them. I, I'm, they never get old. Now he is super analytical, and when he starts to ask a question, you know it's going to be a good one. Yeah, strap yourself in for it. Yeah, man. So I feel like I've brought in you. Sorry, I feel like both of us we've we've walked all the way your race exploits somewhat up to kind of today outside of talking to you as global race director for race operations for ultra four how did that happen and i don't say that like a shock like oh my god like how why would someone give you that job like i feel like that's a very good fit but how did dave and you and how did you guys get together so we had just finished nora we were in cabo and dave invites me to dinner we go to dinner and he says, Hey man, can you come over? I need to talk to you, you know, just me and you for a second. And okay. He tells me that you got diagnosed with throat cancer and that he's going to have to go through chemo and all the treatment and stuff. And he's going to be down. <clears throat> and he wanted me to step in and be race director while he was down. And I'm like, Holy crap, you know, freaking out a, because he's sick and B that's a, a huge deal to me. I don't think I answered him then. I think I, we kind of did a sort of, but then after I got home, I called him, and told him, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you ran the show for a solid year. You were the go-to. Yeah, because he ran Stampede. That was his last race, and that's when he announced that I was going to be the race director because I couldn't make Stampede because I was still working with Lovell. I was still running his his show. Then I stepped in. Honestly, it wasn't hard to do because he already had a team in place. And when we went to, God, what was that? Badlands. And that was the first race that I was going to be the race director at. Ron Stobaugh, Shannon Welch, Simon Sains, John Goodby was there doing timing. I think, yeah, Texas was there. Texas Jesus was there. Such a great team already in place that all I had to do was kind of help. Plug, plug and play the guy at the top. Yeah. And so it wasn't hard. And knowing all the racers, I raced against them and with them. That was easy. Yeah, you had a, you've had a good name for, I mean, as far back, I, I don't know that anyone has seriously cussed you in front of me. Like, I mean, like cussed your name in front of me. I think everyone, I, th- I think there is, there's a lot of people, I've, you know, around in any, any type of racing format where people will get, you know, cussed about, you know, and, right. and not good things said about it. I can't think of anyone that's actually had negative things to say about JT, at least in front of me. I'm sure there's ones out there, but. Then they're few and far between versus there's other people that we could name drop and be like, Oh my God, there's, you can't say anything good about him almost. Yeah. No, there are those. No, I just tried it. I mean, my dad taught me well, do what you say, say what you do and be honest and straightforward. You can be hard, but be fair. And so you've been killing it worldwide now, you know, worldwide. You had New Zealand, you had uh, Europe and U.S. And then here we are, we're sitting 40 some days, 30 some days from KOH 2020. Ugh. What is the plan? When do you get to Hammertown? When do you get to Lake Bed? Or I say pre Hammertown. When do you get to Lake Bed? First week of January. So probably you'll be able to hear yourself on the radio. You're already there. You'll be plugging plugging along, driving fence post. Yeah, no, more than likely GPS in the course. Course is already laid out. Oh, I know. I've had several people talk to me about that course <laughs> and about all the fun that's coming. And I, like I said, I, I alluded to it on the very beginning of the show. Wow, what a thank you guys for give me the privy of carrying uh, the course and carrying and, and trusting me with, with that knowledge and my curiosity about how exciting it's going to be. Man, everybody's in for it. Yeah. Really in for it. No, it's, it's going to be a hard race this year. So talk to me about the logistics of building Hammertown. That's the subject matter expert who I'd planned to have Jeremy Dickinson here, but he seemed to have found another reason to replace you, replace himself with you. 
Uh, Jeremy. No, Jeremy. Not, Jeremy. Not me. It's gonna take. It's taken three guys to replace what Jeremy did. Jeremy was an amazing guy. Still, That's what I hear. still is. He busted his butt. You know, with with family and with life. And he needed to stay around home more. And I respect his I respect his decision. That was a really hard decision to make because I know he loves Oh he lo- he loves it. This stuff. Yep. He's still I, I talked to him what twice today on the phone. And he's still gonna be racing. He's gonna be going to Mexico with me for Nora. Well his dedication to the hammers is just oh my God. Uh, unparalleled. Like what I I'm gonna misquote him and we'll get him to call in and give the exact date, but I think he spent something like forty eight days in a row on the lake bed last year. It was some it was some stupid number. It was way greater than a month. Yeah, but he got there after I did, so he can shut up. <laughs> <laughs> no, we. So, so what's the steps? You guys start building tents. You start building fence. We get there, you, and it's one motorhome, and then it's two, and then it's seven, then it's 14, and you just stack them all up. Then we have the fence company come in, and or actually before even that, uh, Sean, Sean Bootsma and Simon. GPS sur- the whole thing. Survey it out. Lay it out and then put in the pins, and that's where Jeremy was out there. He put in the pins and start laying out the roads and where we're going to put the road signs and where the roads go and where the fence goes. And, and then y'all drop electrical. In. Like I mean, there is ditch digging that goes out there. You guys have a an auger. Yeah, we rent a trencher. But rent a trencher, and you guys are laying and electrical lines and Wi-Fi lines and fiber optics. And oh yeah, we've got the. It's crazy. Used to be the Pet Boys. Now it's the A Team. Got the A Team out there running the trencher. And then you got Lindsay Fisher is slinging these big, heavy cables. This little skinny girl out there just throwing cable. And Travis Walter is orchestrating all of it. And he, Travis is the leader of the propeller heads. Nerd crew. Nerd crew, man. They get it done. Well, that's what I was saying. Anyone who walks out on that lake, so there's 70,000, 80,000 people will walk through or drive through the, the gate there on Boone Road that week. You know, as a collective, that's you know, aggregate number. 80,000 people will be there. Do not realize that there's the underground that goes into place there. It's there. You're walking on top of it. It is that is a town minus sewer. Yeah. It's crazy. I had no idea until maybe last year or the year before seeing you guys laying in trenching and laying in cable. And it's not like one cable. No. It's a it's a bundle. Yeah, no, it's a lot of cable. And Travis came up with an idea of a way to pull it out without tearing up the cable. We bought a bunch of old one I think it's seven eighths, five eighths or seven eighths inch old drag line cable. And you'll lay them in there, and then you just tie a loop on the end. When you when you terminate it, just lift. Then you hook it to the telehandler and drive, and it peels up the dirt where it's all packed down. And then you pull the cable up, and you save the cable. You don't tear up cables, so it doesn't cost as much money. Oh, nice! Because they're all rentals. Travis, badass. Travis is badass. Way to way to step it up. So you you guys have that going. That's an orchestrated effort, fencing orchestrated effort. So it's like every year the the main stage is actually GPS located in the same spot. The gates are yes. GPS located in the same spot. Yes, the fire pit GPS located in the same spot. So it is eh, the fire pit. We don't have to GPS. It normally it just kind of stays know, there. You kind of know where it is. But when people say that the years run together. There's almost a reason why the years run together because people are, tend to be located in the same places like Team Texas. They're almost always on the same address. Campbell, always on the same end cap. It's the, yeah. the, the memories tend to bleed and merge together. Well, and it makes sense too because like having Campbells there, it's good for them and it's good for us because it, it's a good draw. You know, people want to see the Campbell team and people want to see, 
you know, the tribe guys and the Millers and the, you know. Yeah, you come in that one gate and you've got Curry, Curry on one side and Campbell on the other. And, you know, Casey is a formidable contender and he's putting shows on all over the world, Dakar and yep. Baja. And he hasn't had a lot of, you know, luck at KOH in the last few years, but Curry is still a very big name. No, he's, he's, Casey is the best promoter of Casey I've ever met. I think that's a good way to put it. With, <laughs> now, I, we talked I, about, I love messing with him. We talked about Floresville, you know, Floresville, Texas, in that short course race. And I bought a Casey Curry shirt at that event. I come back to level racing there and JT and Brad. And I mean, just everyone looked at me like I had. You just pissed in the punch. Terrible. <laughs> terrible. I was like, what's wrong? I mean, uh, you well, guys- we were racing against Casey at that time. So it was, that was I, the enemy, man. I like Casey. I do too. Casey's easy to give a hard time, at least uh, behind scenes. He is a very hard promoter, like a promoter of himself and the way he promotes himself. I think he takes a lot of shots. I think people oh yeah, read him the wrong way, you know, like the whole single seat KOH champion. Yeah. Uh, I think, no, I, I, think I, I think when, you know, when that came out, I don't think that was his intention or their intention, but it might've been. And if it was a genius, they took it Jeez. too far, but uh, I tell you what though, I got to give it to him for we're talking about it a decade later. Yeah. But his, uh, effort at Dakar. Yeah. He's killing it. I got to give it to him because I went down there in 15 with Robbie Gordon. That's hard. It's like doing the Baja 500 every day and prepping every single night. And then, Oh, by the way, you got to travel eight hours to get to your next bivouac pit. And then he comes out here, he comes out to Johnson Valley and he's competing with all of us, uh, you know, amateur racers. <laughs> right. So you guys get, uh, get Hammertown more or less built. What's, what's kind of the target date? Is it like the Thursday before hammers week, Wednesday before hammers week to kind of have everything dry run tested? Yeah. Cause we've already done testing. We've already p- put the uh, microwave shots out. Because we're shooting live video all the way from remote pit one, from outer limits, bouncing it off of Fisher. We're shooting a microwave shot, live shot for 12 miles across the desert and then down to the production trailer. And you got to get all that lined up. Uh How much of that is put in place with helicopter? Uh, There's a couple of those that are dropped with helicopter with Travis and and the uh, propeller head crew. And then Tony Calkins comes out with Knox and all of the Knox and Jen, the Arkansas crew. They come out and they're Knox is like our, um, he just does everything. He, he builds stuff. Like Build, what kind of stuff? Like camera, camera platforms. Oh, okay. Okay. Now, I follow, now I'm following you. Okay. Like construction type stuff. He's really good at that. And he runs the crew yeah, doing like all that puts, stuff. They, they, like they put up the screen, the big screen that's at Chocolate Thunder. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Well, we all kind of dive in on that, but Knox has done that several times okay. and he's good at it. And we drive that sketchy ass tractor that Dave's got that tries to kill all of us when we're trying to dig that thing in. But yeah, then we've got Chris Bowler, who is the head fobbit. He and Camo work together to build Hammertown, build a city, you know, and get all of the porta potties put in the right locations and all of the roll off dumpsters put in the right locations. And then Jeremy had a lot to do that about placing people because Jeremy handled all of the. So I'd spent days, not days, I'd spent hours riding around with Jeremy in a side by side and just listen to the radio traffic he would get. And we'd be, okay, there's trash bags needed over there. Radios needed over here. There's something stuck over here. I need to get something over here. I need to get a camera guy from here to here. And Jeremy just solved and solved and solved. He spent all day just jumping from fire to fire to fire to fire. Yep. 
Who's who's going to handle that this year? So Scott Hartman from the Dust Junkies from Fox. I'm glad that name came up. Big burly naked guy, Scott Hartman. He's a great guy. Yep. He's an amazing guy. Him and Tandy are great people. That whole family is. I don't know if this has been said on my story, but you know, my in my life, I spent you know roughly 15 years trading electricity. I was an energy trader for many years, and uh, Scott Hartman, big burly naked guy, head of Dust Junkies Racing. We met because he also traded electricity for Southern California Edison. And we worked shift work. We worked nights, weekends, holidays, and we got to where it was discovered via Pirate 4x4. We did the same thing, but at different companies. And then we started talking to each other and we got to be friends across that genre. And then when we started meeting in person now, it's like every time I'm in, in the West out in the desert, run into Hartman. So Hartman That's and I, funny. we run it, we talked to each other with some regular some regularity enough that so that he's in my phone and I bet we talk once a month and we definitely text you know once every couple months about this that or everything or yeah. what's going on they are the Hartman the whole Hartman clan wow yeah and a lot of people who have ran through the dust junkies crew has been nothing but outstanding you know you'll see them out on the on the lake bed uh bright orange shirts djr yep. on the back of it yeah that's a good crew no, but yeah so are. Scott came to work for Hammer King and he's Picking up some of that weight. Yeah. And then uh, Ryan Thomas. And he's the new guy. Coming he, in from Jackson Motorsports, BFG, um, is the president. And he's also taking part of that load of sponsorship relationship and helping do all of that. And, and when, then, I, when I saw that press release, I was heavily pumped after I went and I, I stalked him. Sorry, Ryan, you're going to hear this. I stalked you. I went to Facebook. I went to LinkedIn. I kind of put together enough, but because I, I felt like the, the press release was like, who is this guy from way out in right field? But then I talked to Miles. Oh, no. he's the, Ryan's got a race pedigree that goes oh, way yeah, back. Oh, yeah, way back. Yep. And so I talked to Miles and Miles goes, yeah, man, I didn't know who he was. I went to go like friend him on Facebook. I'm like, I'm already friends with him. <laughs> so I had to figure out who's this guy. So no, very, very exciting news. And so I reached out to you and said, Hey, JT, what's the scoop on yeah. Ryan? What, what's the story behind him? And you were super pumped about him. Yeah. I mean, it's bittersweet because Jeremy's a really, really good friend of mine and it really sucks that he's not going to be out there with us. But now we got to replace him. We've got Scott Hartman and Ryan Thomas, who are both great people. And I believe they're going to be an asset to the company. We also got Alan Johnson, the little shutter gnome, who is also doing, he's the VP of marketing for Hammer King Productions. He's also helping to step in and fill those shoes. And I've got to say something about Alan right here. When you guys, when you see on Facebook or Instagram or even on Apple Podcast or Google or Stitcher, when you see the headshots of the guys and the ladies that are guests on this show, nine times out of 10, those are provided by Alan. Yeah. Alan is such a, a great individual to know. <laughs> I, I just don't have enough good words to say about Alan. Alan has been a huge proponent of mine, a huge provider of photography for, for me for this show. Man, I, Alan, thank you. I know I don't, I've told you this a text. I've told you this, you know, on the phone, but thank you for, uh, for helping us head headshots like JT's headshot. It is an Alan Johnson. <laughs> He's photo. really good at the candid shot. He nails it. Yep. He, he nails it. He's he, and so he's got everything he's doing for marketing for, uh, for hammer King and for, uh, yep. KOH. So yeah, it's, um, like, it's crazy. Like going back, we survey it out and it's funny cause survey boy, John Bootsma. John Boosma was there since at, day one. Was there at the first one in 07. Matter of fact, Rob DeBrock and I slept in the back of his empty race trailer in a windstorm before the race. And otherwise, I'd have been sleeping in my truck. So thanks, Sean. Right. But, um, get it surveyed, laid out, and then all of, we get the uh, our vendors that start coming in. They start laying out the fence, the, the perimeter fence. And then they start bringing in the porta potties. And it's staged to where you get this many 
during this week and then more this week and then more this week because you get more and more people coming yeah. on lake bed. And then the tent people start coming in and they start putting up the tents, which um, that's going to change a little bit. The footprint of, the, of Hammertown is changing a bit this year. There you go. You heard it here first. Yeah. What am I going to tell you what's happening? I was already complaining. <laughs> you know, we start laying out bike fence, miles and miles and miles of bike fence to lay out the short course. Like the week before, John Goodby and Bird show up and get out there with some dozers and build us a super badass short course. Those boys, man, they do such a great job, and we'd be screwed without with without Goodby and Bird. So I'm I'm really happy they come. Yeah, they do the best desert dick I've ever seen. Isn't that funny? It looks just like a big old droopy <laughs> wiener from, from from on Google Earth. I know that's hilarious. They're like, what are y'all talking about? Okay, go Google Earth means dry lake, and there is an outline of a droopy penis, and that is those these guys. They do the work. They they put in the work. Um, but yeah, then the race teams start showing up, and it's always a bet to see who's going to be the first one to show up. And, you know, you never know. I mean, there'll be people show up two and a half weeks before the race like, just to hang out. It's like, man, uh, don't you guys have a life? <laughs> Right. Let's say we jump forward. Race is over. I mean, I'm not going to talk about the chaos that is your world for that like nine, ten days. It's all I, right. I love it. it I thrive on the chaos. Unless you just want to, you know, ramble on about it. But no, I uh, don't. How long does it take you guys to tear hammer down down? Last year, it took us five days. It's amazing. All that time in and you know, just such short time to, to wreck it out. Yeah, we tore it down in five days. We had a lot of good help that stayed on later than they normally do. Um, they adjusted their schedule, came in later, so they could stay later, a.k.a. Bowler. Yeah. And some of the guys from Europe, uh, Ian Cherry from Gigglepin, came and helped and stayed. David Robson. Have you met Robson? I have not. You need to meet Dave Robson. Well, I'll meet him this year. He's such a good dude. Team Europe's going to be huge this year again. They're shipping a ton of cars, and there's a bunch of them coming. And I'm on the Ultra 4 Europe page and the coordination between, like, Drew yep. and Drew Wright and company. Yeah, man, they're they're bringing the heat. Like, I mean, they're they're coming to party, and I don't know if my liver or kidney or all the above can, can hang. Yeah, well, Roy Barton's coming to do timing again. Dr. Crossland, of course, is coming to help. Um, it's always awesome to have him here. Him and Tills. Tills does a great job with their social media over there. That is Ultra 4 Europe. You've got Crossland, Tills, and Bowler. And and there's a ton of other. The main, the core is Crossland, Tills, Bowler, Robson. Robson. And then Ian uh, also is his core. He comes in and does a lot of the, the live show stuff. I hope I didn't forget anybody. Oh, man, there's a bunch of them. And I, I, I know it's touchy ground. I don't want to offend anyone by forgetting. But, oh, I know. And, and I absolutely do. Well, let's... Uh, Let's jump forward a little bit. Let's talk about something that JT that I know that you've got going and you've got uh, in the box. And actually, one of the events with it is the the Friday night before Hammers Week. The Friday night before Hammers Week, I believe that's January the thirty first or January the thirtieth. I think it's thirty first. I think it's the thirty first. You are partners with uh, Terry Madden on a new venture in Yucca Valley yep. called, called High Road. We've talked, you know, Terry talked about it. I think I've brought it up a couple times in the past, but you guys are going to have a beginnings party. Yep. Um, you guys bought a building from City Yucca Valley, and you're going to do this. Uh, you're going to have to fill me in on the blanks. I think I know about a little bit about the thing, but it's kind of a, I don't want to say high end, but I want to say kind of like a boutique, off-road, fabrication, lifestyle, little shop. I think there's some ideas that made a little coffee shop with Wi-Fi with some cool motorcycles and some cool razors and uh, building cool stuff. The word you're looking for is motocentric. Motocentric. That seems like a $10 word for... Yeah, that's uh, Jesse Combs' word, so... 
Yeah, and this was uh, this is a carry on of her dream. Her, yeah, it was her and Terry came up with this thing and found this building that belonged to the city of Yucca Valley. And it's right there on Twenty Mile Palms Highway. It is right, right on the, main, on the drag. main drag, and it was built in 1947, and it was called the Yucca Valley Sky Corral, and it was a shell gas station for cars in the front and a shell gas station for airplanes on the back. There was a dirt airstrip on the back, and people, stars like Gene Autry, would fly their plane from Hollywood, land there, get in a car, go up to Pioneer Town, and film westerns. And while they were gone, their plane would get serviced and fueled up at. The Yucca Valley Sky Corral. How badass is that? It's pretty neat, man. <laughs> so I've seen pictures of the place. I've seen the plan for the place. I've seen a lot and shared a lot of uh, talk time with you and talk time with Terry ab- about it. And pretty pumped that you jumped in and got involved in this. I think this is a, a, a pretty cool little business venture. And I think it's a pretty cool little thing for Yucca Valley. I think it gets heavily supported there. I was surprised when we went to the city council meeting for the final vote whether we were going to get to buy it or not and we had a lot of support i was i was blown away it was pretty cool in city yucca valley i'm probably going to say this wrong so uh, if i'll apologize up front their tourism business and hinging on koh koh brings a lot to the footstep to the doorstep of yucca valley absolutely no they they understand that they embrace it and they know that and i and actually it came up in that city council meeting that me being who i am with King of the Hammers played a big part in them wanting to support me as being part of the partnership of this. See, you heard it right here. JT, he's that damn big. Oh, no. I'm patting you on the back, you know, virtually right <laughs> here uh, across the desk from me. Yeah, man, this is a cool thing. This is, I think this is a really cool thing for Yucca. I think this is a really cool thing for you guys. I've, I've heard, uh, as Terry and I have discussed it, it's very much like a grandpa's garage that's in Moab of Yucca, of the hammers of Johnson Valley that yep. that there will be a place if you know in town if you're having to be in the hammers non during hammers week that you can go by the motocentric lodge there yeah. that is high road get get yourself fixed up coffee Wi-Fi weld something on your rig hang out clothes speaking of clothes <laughs> nowhere in the world right now can you go to a brick and mortar and buy a king of the hammers t-shirt guess where it's going to be the first place high road high road baby same thing with uh, gambler five hundred oh that's very cool. Very cool. Roxy is probably doing backflips because that's just a few less shirts that she has to box up and lick stamps on. God, she kills it. She she comes up with a lot of the designs and, and her, her and her team, that they sell that stuff at the Hammers. So I got a box the other day from her. It's addressed Ultra 4, but had a Texas address and it showed up. I'm like, what the hell is this? And then I realized, oh yeah, Roxy lives in Texas now. Yeah. She was shipping from her house. Yeah, no. Um, Roxy, you do killer work and she's about to come into you know her chaos season as well oh, no, she's, she's she's already knee yeah. deep knee deep in it which on roxy that's only about four inches but <laughs> <laughs> but yeah we're we're gonna sell um we've already made a deal with dave we're gonna sell king of the hammers merchandise there and uh terry made a deal with tater and we're gonna sell gambler stuff yep and then i believe that he you guys have some stuff in the works with i, I thought harley davidson uh, Indian motorcycles. Indian, Indian. That's what it was. I know. And along with them is Polaris and Tobacco Motorware. God, there's so many. Terry, so many people that came on board. Terry is connected with a lot of people. He's man. He just comes up with so much stuff. He's like, oh man, I talked to these people and these people and these people, and I'm like, whoa, slow down, slow dude. down. You got too much going. 
But that said, so we had this discussion about opening this place and you guys are getting possession. What? Like now, like next week, we have early possession. Now Terry's got the keys. He was over there. I was talking to him a couple hours ago and he's already over there doing stuff and he's already got it worked out to where we can get power. Um, so we can start the reno. It, it was actually your idea to do the pre-party, and I appreciate you saying that because I think it's really cool. No, and, I'm I'm super I'm super excited about it. one because I believe a couple things. I think people have heard me says I believe in supporting those who support you. I believe supporting your friends. Like I'm not going to go out and you know buy make it from the Kardashians or Nike shoes because of somebody's face on it. But if I can go out there and support guys like Terry Madden, guys like JT Taylor, guys like Dave Cole, guys like Eric Miller or Tribe or Bender or I can go on and on. Right. If I can purchase something from you guys to help support my group of friends, my core group of friends, my fringe group of friends, or I can promote it via like this show and get the word out on your business. I'm going to put that out 10 times harder than anything I could do like on a, on a macro corporate level that right. doesn't make doesn't make sense to me that you know if we buy or don't buy a shirt from Dillard's doesn't matter, but if I buy a shirt from High Road as I pass through Yucca Valley, that makes a difference to <laughs> yeah. my friends immediately in their pocket. Bottom line, just like the I was talking about the box of stuff that came from Roxy with an Ultra Four Texas address. It was I was buying shirts for Christmas and yeah. and and stuff to give to stocking stuffers for kids and family and friends because I believe in supporting those that support you and yeah. supporting your friends and and so when we talk about. When I don't, I'm not exactly sure what the genesis was, but we were talking about high road. And I said, you know what? I think it was a brainstorming with you. Well, because I drive and I get bored. And, and so and then call. I go through my address book and go, oh, I'll talk to Wyatt, see what he's doing. <laughs> and usually I'm not doing anything. <laughs> now. Um, and so we brainstormed this out. And I think this, uh, over the course of the next year, you guys are just, you guys just got possession or you guys got access. I think you guys are going to get possession sometime in January, if I heard yep. right. But, you know, at that point, you guys are full swing at I'm going to use the cuss word right here, assholes and elbows, getting Hammertown ready, getting ready for that green flag that's going to start dropping yep. that first week of February. You don't have time to be in Yucca Valley sweeping floors or painting walls or remodeling. Uh, Neither does Terry. Terry is equally as busy, but that building's there. We have a schedule. Let's get it out there. Let's put the word out. Hey, change your travel arrangements, get to Hammertown by Friday afternoon, and we'll all carpool into Yucca Valley together. Yeah. And we'll do this beginnings party. There might not be much there, but power. No, I promise you there won't be much there. No. Um, <laughs> but I will promise you there is this. Uh, Wyatt Pemberton, this guy right now, I'm talking on the phone in the talent tank. I'm sponsoring uh, some beer. I'm sponsoring you know that's sweet i think three kegs of beer is what i committed to maybe it ends up being more millions if, <laughs> if you guys drink less i'm going to be disappointed but i think that's for me that's the whole spreading the word let's get the thing going get you guys an opportunity get the word out there they can see what the beginnings is what it looks like today and then it's on you and it's it's on yeah it's on you guys to make it happen over the next right. year so that in koh 2021 when we do the friday party yeah. they will get to see what it's like again and then this becomes a perpetuity event where the friday night before hammers week you want to be at high, at, at, at high road and i think we discussed a little bit of getting the ball rolling and part of me wanting to get that ball rolling and is 
something of a donation level. I don't know if this is the right way I want to say it, and you can shoot me down and, and I can edit it out. But what I'm saying is, I think I pitched it to you as like an envelope party, like you know, like a bar mitzvah. You know, that you come in and uh, you make you know something of a donation. Hey man, the beer's free, but help us put a couple bucks towards Home Depot, <laughs> a couple bucks towards Lowe's. Uh, if you can't be there to 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 run a paintbrush, you know, over the next year, man, think about helping your friends out. Think about helping those that that support you and that will be standing behind you and you'll have a, a place there in Yucca Valley to stop in. And I don't know that that's going to sound like me being very pitchy, but it's not, man. It's like, I just believe in, you know, supporting those that yeah. are your friends. No, that's really cool, man. And I, I appreciate that. And I know Terry will say no, but Terry's half of this. So he's going to have to suck it up. Because if somebody wants to help us with a donation, I'm going to say, yeah, because after him putting in the money and me putting in my money to buy this place, we're both going to be. And uh, then just the, the hundreds of hours over the next year, yeah. just getting the thing turned around and, and then spreading the word. And you know, I'm all for spreading the word. Like I said, I'm all for helping my friends. Yeah. Well, because it's financially and just oh, this whole deal is scary as hell to me, but it's Terry needed help and. He's one of my best friends, so I'm... I just... You crack me up because you live in Colorado, you're from Florida, and you're on your way to Florida to some of your property there, and now you're going to be a business owner in California. You're kind of you're kind of the, the, the international businessman of... Uh, <laughs> and you live in the jet set crowd between Europe and New Zealand and California and... Yeah, I'm just a redneck from Florida. <laughs> man, JT, did we cover all the bases you wanted to cover today? I don't know. I've just been having fun, man. I don't even really think about it. Yeah, uh, no, I've, I've I always have fun with you, man. You're you're a good time. I mean, a lot of people have said that about you, men and women. Uh, <laughs> you're a funny guy, JT. Okay. Thank you for coming on. I appreciate it. A lot of people are going to see you here in late January. They're going to see you in February. King of Hammers 2020. I'm excited about the course that you are about to lay out. I know it's mostly done, but I'm really excited about it. I'm really excited about uh, the twists and turns. Bring that, your big boy panties. Yeah, there's going to be some people that uh, <laughs> that may that, that may impact. Nonetheless, I'm really excited to see how the field handles the curveballs that you guys have set up to throw their way. Cool monkey wrenches. Yeah. No, it's going to be good, man. It's going to be a good race. And uh, it'll be a great year. So hopefully everybody that shows up gets to go home safe and we have a great race that's on time. All right. I hope you guys all enjoyed this uh, installment of the Talent Tank. Thank you, JT Taylor, for stopping in Texas for <laughs> Christmas Eve and spending it with my family. And everyone else to listen to this. He's a sucking uh, hung from the chimney of the care. That's awesome. Thank He's you for some- the hospitality, man. It's really cool. All right. Hey, we're out. See you guys on the lake bed. See ya. I'd like to thank the sponsor of this episode, the Jesse Combs Foundation. For more information about their organization, please visit their website at www.thejessiecombsfoundation.com. Thank you for listening and taking a dive into the Talent Tank. Please like and subscribe on Instagram at the Talent Tank or our website, thetalenttank.com.